Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the magnificent Phil Jupitus. Welcome. Hey, hello, boys. How are we? All right. Very well, Phil. You? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay because um, I, I currently uh, live in Scotland. The reason I'm here with you, we've been trying to make this happen for a while now, and uh, I've been down um, doing. Al Murray's got a quiz about to take off on a channel that's never done entertainment television before. So the very interesting prospects of <laughs> National of Geographic the weirdest notes coming down from upstairs about. Uh, yeah, can that man there just be more funny, please? <laughs> yeah, how, what would you like exactly? I don't know. Make him talk so people will laugh. It's, it's, it's a bit like that, but, you know, they're doing something completely new and, and Ali's being unbelievably patient with it. So it's not, it's not <laughs> we did some work once with the Natural History Unit and that was, we enjoyed every single moment of the process until they came in and went, sorry, sorry what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you go, oh, you haven't done this before. Oh, right, what you need to do then is trust us because we've, we've made loads of comedy. And they went... No, no, no. We know what we're doing. Look at the BAFTAs. And you went, oh, my God, this is it's that, yeah. that, that yeah. mismatch. Yeah. You go, they're brilliant programme makers, but they haven't worked. Yeah, with. exactly. This is the, they used I to get things right. I find that, yeah, but I find that quite funny. It's just that, that you have to, you know, when you're being given notes. and then. Um, <laughs> but the interesting thing about me is I like being 56 because you can just go, Phil, we're wondering if you could, and you go, no, I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> Straight away. The, what I love is there's a certain look in a producer's eye when you just go, no, I'm not going to do that. They just. <laughs> Are you starting along the road towards being Orson Welles in the P advert? <laughs> is that is that the, or Tom Baker? Doing I can see this. Just waiting. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> it's very liberating to say no to a note, though, isn't it? Sometimes? Yeah. Because yeah. Like, because there's there's a real etiquette around note taking. And there should be more etiquette around note giving. There should be yeah. more about, do you know what you yes, haven't thought about? This? That is exactly it. The thing is, is very often when I was acting in things, because I'm, I'm a, and this is why I've decided not to do acting anymore, it's because, it's not because I can't act because I can, but it's because I can't take direction. I've been right. my own director for 35 years yeah. as simply yeah. 
uh, I'd not got it in my head to fully take on board. I, you know, I tried my hardest with Shakespeare, and even then, you can't. You've got this massive as a stand-up and as a poet who's been, you know, writing and directing their own stuff and a, and a stand-up. You, you've got all the wrong bits of the engine in your head. Yeah, huh? I, it's people don't realise there's a difference with that. I talked to Jenny Colgan, who's a mutual friend, who's a yeah. novelist, writes Doctor Who books and writes romantic fiction and things, and she was an obvious person when they were looking for more female writers for Doctor Who. I said, yeah. why don't you go for this? She went, I can't do telly. Because she's a novelist. She's like being a stand-up. You're yeah, on your yeah. own. You're your own. You've got an editor and things, but you're kind of everything you do is your own responsibility. Yeah. Whereas acting and, and, and writing for a brief and things is a collaborative medium. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're a prick. It doesn't mean you're just saying, no, I know everything. It's just the part of your brain that, that runs when you think of an idea is doing all those jobs already. And when someone says to you, have you thought about doing this this way? You want to scream, yes, yes, I have. That's exactly what yeah. I do. I always interrogate stuff. How dare you imply that I don't? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the note that I have to give director's notes. So I have to Because they always say, uh, now, uh, this is the bit of the show, Phil, where you have a bit of fun with this, you know. You know, muck around a bit. I mean, do not tell me to muck around a bit. Please do not tell me to do what I want you. Because I'm telling you right now, in three weeks, you're going to be reining me in and giving, having the talk with me. <laughs> because, because, because of something you told me to do, you're going to be telling me off. Yeah. And that's literally what happened on nearly every job I've done. They've said, oh, yeah, yeah. Look, look muck around a bit. Don't tell me to do that. Because <laughs> I will muck around a bit. And then that will turn into more and more and more and more. And then when they try and tell you you've got to stop mucking around, they get really serious. Listen, uh, we have to talk to you now. And I'm like, I'm like, mate, just say, could you do less of that, please? Yeah. I will respond to that rather than you making a small production out of telling me you yeah. know, you know that a, I've been doing it wrong. There's a teacher's voice that everyone fears, especially if you do a silly job. I mean, Graham Linehan said it once, said that, that they were rehearsing Big Train, I think, in the American school up on Tottenham Court Road. And they all found uh, some choristers' costumes in a, in a cupboard. And they put them on, it was like Simon Pegg, and I was all running around, and Mark Heap running around dressed as choristers. And then someone from the American school came in and said, what are you doing? The teacher's voice. And Graham said, your heart just sinks because you're, you're being told off and yeah. mucking about. And that's hardwired into you from childhood that that's a bad thing. Yeah. Whereas actually what you get paid for is mucking about. What They, they were paid yeah, yeah, to rent yeah. the space, to go and muck yeah. about, to be childish, to be playful. But all it takes is a grown-up to go, sorry, in this space. In this, yeah. No running in the corridors. Yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it, it, you can't help but it plugs into a guilt that you shouldn't be doing it. And then that fights in your head with the idea that, no, that's exactly what I'm reward. I've set my entire life up to be rewarded for doing this. <laughs> yeah. And you're telling me that that's Is my whole life meaningless? And you have a moment of like the floor falls out underneath you. And being told off as a grown-up is really traumatic. And that's why I've decided not to do the acting anymore. Because, you know, you have enough people on stage and a teacher's voice waiting yeah. for you in the wings. Oh, fuck that. But it's, it's you know. what, what you've brought in today to talk about relates yes. very, very much to yeah. that because this is a thing the thing that fascinated me as a kid is that these incredibly funny things cartoons yeah. were made by incredibly funny very clever men mm. under the guidance of humourless mm. awful people bankers, bankers finance people who didn't know why it was funny and uh, the great th Fred Quimby who made uh, the Tom and Jerry's whose yeah. name is that big He's, flourish yeah, yeah. no sense of humour Leon Schlesinger yeah. who made these no was, sense of humour uh, Schlesinger was a boxing promoter yeah, you know, was he? he was just—he was just, yeah, he was. That was his—that was his thing. He was—he he was a fight promoter. So t tell tell the boys and girls what you brought in. So uh, what I brought in for you today uh, is kind of the sort of golden age work of the uh, animation director for Warner Brothers, Chuck Jones. <laughs> Uh, 
He worked under Leon Schlesinger, and Leon yeah, Schlesinger yeah. famously is the voice of Daffy Duck. He had the lisp. That's what certainly who Mel Blanc modeled Daffy Duck on. <laughs> they said, go and do Leon. It's literally, <laughs> there was a moment where um, the ducks, he comes in, it's one of the early times they've done it, they're all a bit nervous and they're having a screening, and uh, Daffy Duck's up there. And then Schlesinger, after the screening, they're all sat there a bit quiet, and Schlesinger turns around to them from his chair and goes, that duck's hilarious. Where did you get the voice? <laughs> the way that Chuck Jones used to describe him is he'd be going, jokes, put more jokes in, people like jokes. And he'd go, right, you've no idea what jokes are. You know these guys can do jokes, they can do the magic and you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And because of that, remarkably, and this may be why it's a golden age, yeah. they left them to do it. Yeah. So the animation department of Warner Brothers uh, was off lot because they didn't want to s- spend money putting them in a, an incredibly purpose-built suite of, you know, we'll build you a studio. No, they found some uh, kind of almost like Nissan huts on the outskirts of the <laughs> Warner's lot uh, that were just these old storage buildings, uh, but that were well-lit, old kind of admin office buildings. They went, you, you're, you're our animation, we've got an animation department, that's you, you can have that. And it was this beaten-up old wooden shacks that they called Termite Terrace. And this is <laughs> where... In the 30s, these guys all went to work. The key fact in Chuck Jones being as brilliant as he is, is that he was an animator for Tex Avery, who was at Warner's until 38. And Tex Avery is the reason Chuck Jones is as good as he is. He's, Tex Avery is the guy who gave us where a wolf will drop its tongue to, yeah. the, to the table. It's the, it's the thing that Jim Carrey's doing in the mask. Extremism. That it's kind of Roger Rabbit animation. Yeah, yeah, that whole, um, the physical stretching of figures beyond the way they could go. The animation used to very much behave itself and stay within, basically, early animation, you know, um, works, Disney, people like that. They, they stayed within the realms of physics, with what their characters did. And it was Avery was the first guy, I think, we're drawing these, they can do what they want. Their head can come off when you stick it back on again, they can stretch, you know, their arm can be pulled so far by a bloke that it goes for a mile. He's the Isaac Newton, he gives yeah. the rules to cartoon physics. Is, is he the guy then who invented the notion of extremes, which are those frames in the cartoon where something very big is happening, yeah. which the the lead artist would draw and people would do the fill-in between Yeah, yes, yeah. so, so the director would do your extremes and then your in-betweeners would get you from... Tex Avery doesn't invent the extreme, but Tex Avery makes the extremes literally makes extremes. Really, right. really okay. extreme. really, really extreme. Got but, it. Yeah, and then the in-betweeners, and I always think that's the incredible talent, is that getting shape A to shape B yeah. across whatever it is, you know, 48 frames. You've got two seconds yeah. to go from there to there. And that they do that. That's absolutely extraordinary. What Avery does, he does two things. He goes that your physical world is boundless and also he ups the speed the pace of the jokes yeah. starts getting borderline ridiculous <laughs> it's like we can bang 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 yeah. you know you think that the the mentality of kids and and you know today and the amount of images that they can yeah. absorb is daft it's kind of a lot of that is down to Tex Avery. I think that's one of the things that you can watch. I mean, my son's uh, 
nine and he watches Learning Tunes. And the, the amazing thing is that Chuck Jones and Tex Avery and, and, and Bob Clampett and all the people who, who invented this, invented the pace of cartoons. And it's hard to go much faster. So that when a kid watches these now, he doesn't go, these are from the 1950s. Whereas if you make a kid watch a film from the 1950s, they're aware they're watching a 1950s film. Yeah, Even yeah. the Laurel and Hardy feels slow. Even though it's gag, gag, gag. Yeah. But Warner Brothers set the pace for this faster than Disney, faster than anyone else. And everyone is now, Amazing World of Gumball is still edited to this pace. Yeah, yeah. So it's the fact that they're working in a visual medium, and so they, so so they can bang, 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 bang. But so not only does the visual element get faster, so the the, the writing has to keep up with that yeah. as well. And so the thing is, you've got this guy Avery that's basically reinventing the wheel with regard to comedy animation, and he's got this the pool of guys he's got under him. He's got Jones, right? As you say, he's got the Clampets there, but Clampets a bit of a maverick, and he's totally going to go off on his own <laughs> any day now. You've got uh, Friss Freeling, a, a very underrated animator at Warner's called Arthur Smith. Uh, oh, no, Arthur, um, Arthur Davis. Arthur Davis. Sorry, Arthur Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur Smith, the famous Warner brother. He's been around for ages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the office, wasn't he? <laughs> there was another guy that went on to direct a lot of Jerry Lewis movies um, right. oh. as well. Because there's a connection. I mean, this the thing that people don't say often enough about Warner's and this this type of cartoon is its influence. Obviously, goes into animation, and we're still under the the thing. One of the lovely things. uh, This is still how you make a cartoon. This is the rules being set. Mm. Chuck Jones sets the rules. These guys set the rules. But also, a lot of American comedy, American physical comedy, American gag comedy, is influenced by this performance style. It's what gives you the antic. Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Jim yeah, Carrey, yeah. Robin or Williams. Home Alone, even. Performance style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Home Alone. They are all influenced by the pacing, because his pacing and the visual sense. So many film directors grew up on these. These were movies that everyone saw, because one of the reasons they were allowed to be so wild is that if Warners gave you a film, there had to be a two-hour programme. And Warners yeah, yeah. owned the means of filling up the leftover bit of two hours. So if you bought a Warners film, it came with a bunch of cartoons. And there was a standard budget for them, which was about $11,000 to make one of mm. these. And you just made loads of these. And they bought them off you without seeing them. And Warners yeah. produced them without looking at them very much. They were just padding. They were like the packing material that yeah. films came in. So if you were a film fan, you watched loads of Warner Brothers films. Yeah. So these are hugely influential. The scene that I noted down last night watching Feed the Kitty, which is one of the greatest oh. yeah. Yeah. Jones cartoons oh, yeah. of all time, is there's a scene where the, the dog that has adopted the little cutie kitten uh, thinks the little kitten is being baked into a, right. uh, an omelette or a it's cake. literally what I wrote notes about now, the and pacing of that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know where that f- scene turns up again? Um, it's got to be a Scorsese, isn't it? It's not. No, it's, still, it? it's more animation. Monsters, Inc., Sully watches oh. Boo, the cute little girl, oh, yeah, 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 go yeah, through what he yeah, thinks is a mincing yeah. process, and they do the same set of expressions. They've gone, okay, if you want to watch a big lunk, watch a small, cute thing. We just copy it straight across. Because yeah. those are the faces you pull. Yeah. And they are, everyone who's animating for Warners is acting. Yeah. And they are basically yeah. an acting masterclass yeah. in how to do comedy acting. It's, I mean, let's take that. What's interesting about Feed the Kitty, uh, and oh, what, it's Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot. There you yeah. go. It's, it's, it's Mark Anthony. Mark with Anthony. Yeah, yeah. Mark Anthony. <laughs> Which is a real Mike Maltese. Mark. He loved language. Pepe Le Pew. He likes the Latinate words for Roadrunner. They loved words for a visual yeah. thing. Yeah. Mike Maltese, who's the writer, would add in all these flourishes of language, which you, go, you don't need to do those. Yeah. Do Mark Anthony is the yeah. dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's this enormous kind of huge shouldered bulldog <laughs> that is. That is so we, the, the cartoon opens on a piece of waste ground. 
and a kitten is trying to get some food out of a can. It's a little tiny kitten. It's just in the can, not so over. cute. And then you just suddenly hear, and this massive dog comes up to this kitten and he's screaming and barking, and the cat looks at it and climbs in the dog's mouth <laughs> and starts rubbing his back on the dog's upper set of teeth. And the dog's, there's a lot of looks to camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in in Chuck Jones, and then you know he 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 gets the cat in his paw and holding it in front of his mouth and barks at it. And what I love is that where the wind is blasting the cat, <laughs> back and, and he's looking, at it and the cat just goes meow, and then licks the dog's face. And it's just the emotional shifts yes. in what the dog is doing <laughs> while this kitten is just completely oblivious to his assault. And of course, and then he just loves this kitten. He he. he Wants to keep the kitten as a pet. Well, there's a great dog. look on his face because the 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 dog, because it's appealing to the audience, appears to know the rules of cartoons. It knows that that cartoons are a chase medium. The dog's seen enough Tom and Jerry's to yeah, know the yeah. natural order of things, and all mm. cartoons are a chase. And what's great about Chuck Jones by this stage, this is getting into the fifties. They've made loads of these cartoons, and they're starting to ring the changes. And they go, mm. so what if the dog doesn't chase the cat? Yeah. What if? Daffy and Bugs are being chased by Elmer, but they're they're basically fighting each other to see who gets chased. Yeah, yeah. They play all these variations on it, and then eventually you go, well, let's do the platonic ideal of a chase and just do Roadrunner, where there's no sense to the chase whatsoever. There's, there's not even a baddie in Roadrunner. The only baddie in Roadrunner is the coyote is his own worst enemy. You've removed yeah. the antagonist. Yeah. You to play all these games with, you've got a really limited keyboard with about three notes on it, and they keep finding new tunes on yeah, it. And Feed the Kitty is a brilliant version of it. It's a cat and dog cartoon. But what, how they, what they done? What's interesting is they tend to, they'll find a new way of playing the game, like in Feed the Kitty, and then they'll do three of them. And it's almost like they're in the office and, um, oh, let's do another one of those Mark Anthony ones. That was a laugh. And so then because they've done one, they go, right, now how can we push that? And what happens is the extremes get more and more across the course of these little mini trilogies that they do. It's a bit like um, off the back of Rabbit Fire, which is the first of the Elmer is hunting Bugs and Daffy and Bugs and Daffy are fighting each other while Elmer is trying to... Hunt one or either of them, and that's the whole rabbit season, duck season. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that is a trilogy as well, and they keep expanding that notion. Let's try that again. Okay, I'll start it this time. Right. Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Fire! Okay, this time you start it. But honestly, there's things that happen in Rabbit Fire. That <laughs> idea that on occasion Bugs and Daffy are working together against Elmer, but within that they're always <laughs> sort of out for themselves. Yeah. But Bugs Bunny is always the cleverer of the two. And Chuck Jones said that that Bugs is who I am in my dreams, and Daffy is who I am yeah. when I wake up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And that is—it's the first time you get. It's what I love about that is if I want if if I wanted to show someone one cartoon, uh, if I wanted to explain who Elmer Fudd was, I got <laughs> Rabbit Fire because that's the first where you just see him walking across the street, going, "Be very, very quiet." I'm hunting rabbits. Ah, that's, and that's the, that's all you need is is yep. that first sort of uh, you know is that and you see Bugs's feet going dun, 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 across the screen and yeah. also he's chasing Bugs and then you pull out and it is Daffy wearing rabbit feet. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Jones said, he said that the thing he realises that you don't need plot. 
you just need character. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got six or seven minutes here. And one motivation, basically. Yeah. That's it. The this, plot needs to be... He said... He, his example, he said, Shakespeare's plots are really simple and opera is really simple. He said, because you need space for the other stuff. He said, once once you're talking about character, and he said, all we do is we just do characters. Elmer Fudd, perfect example there. Within seconds, you know that character, but you know that character from how he sounds, Mel Blanc, what the words he says from Mike Maltese, but you also know that character from how he moves. And Chuck Jones is an animator. He brings the literal meaning of animator, like a reanimator. He brings dead things to life. And he brings dead things to life by acting how they would move. And he had a, a great quote. When you're trying to work out how does a Warner Brothers cartoon or a Tom and Jerry cartoon work, and it's just to do with motion. And he said, we are not what we look like. We're not even what we sound like. We are how we move. That's an astonishing mm. thing. That's, that's what you do when you're doing, if you do a play, if you're doing a play, yeah, and the movement yeah. director comes on and you realise that you could do the play without any words and you'd understand who the goodies and the baddies were and who wanted what by where you're standing and how you're holding yourself. And every single frame of a cartoon has been painstakingly drawn over about an hour. So everyone's yeah. really thought where the hands... It's like watching dancers. Yeah. Meep, meep. Jones, of all the Warner's draftsmen, he had the most identifiable visual style. Mm. You see a yep. a Chuck Jones yep. cartoon, you know it's a Chuck he's Jones. He's the best cartoon. drawer. Yeah, by basically. Miles. One of the reasons go. he's the famous there. one, I yeah. think, is that yeah. A, he was a great talker. Yeah. So he became a great ambassador. He's the guy you interview when you want to talk about Looney Tunes. He was always being interviewed by by uh, yeah. television stations and by academies yeah. and things like that. So he talked, whereas I mean animators very often are very loner lone and don't talk very much. He talked brilliantly, but also his look the nicest. If you wanted a t shirt of Bugs Bunny you want a Chuck Jones one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're stylish. He's a really good draftsman, especially in the 50s, where they get in that cartoon modern style, the the, the clean, jagged lines, the, the duck dodgers look. Yeah. It looks really cool. It looks very... Well, it's the Chuck Jones Bugs Bunny is the self-aware, hip, jazz yeah. Bugs Bunny, and he's the classic Bugs Bunny. It's He's got the relaxed eyes. So you yeah. look at all the Bugs Bunnies, and they're all a little bit needy and slapsticky, and then suddenly you hit Jones, and he's, hey, he's blue note. He's blue note. He, ta- he takes yeah. the mania yeah, yeah. out. You look at what, yeah. when Daffy Duck turns up, and he's, he's doing Porky's Duck, and he's whoop, 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 and he's off, uh, oh, like yeah. Three Stooges. Well, in, yeah. He takes that sort yeah. of Three Stooges thing and then goes, well, hang on, what's that guy thinking? Yeah. And the moment he yeah. starts thinking, what's Daffy thinking? What's wrong with Daffy? What drives Daffy? What's yeah. his vanities? Then the eyes drop and you lose the mania. And instead of what you'd naturally do, which is if you were painstakingly drawing something over a long period of time, which is you would put lots of energy in, he's happy to put silence and stillness in. Yeah. Weirdly, during the war, Daffy is more like classic golden era and 48 to 55 Bugs Bunny. If he's in any of the kind of Second World War-based propaganda cartoons, yeah. he's always outwitting people, uh, Daffy, even though he's he still Hitler, a nutcase. He? Oh, he, yeah. He beats there's up a, there's a, there's a, there's a There's a lot of that. Is that how we won? On. Yeah. <laughs> was it one of, the, one of the producers said, be careful with how you animate Hitler. We don't know how this war's going to go. <laughs> think, well, what that's a, a note. That's, <laughs> laugh, isn't that's it? a classic. What a producer. So that is well. You never know, lads. You never know. Um, you know what? On the blue note thing, by the way, um, I was reminded of this. There is there's an opera by Ravel called L'Enfant et les Sortilèges, The Child and the Spells, and it's about a little kid who has a shit fit about his homework and his mother locks him in his room and then his room starts to gang up on him. The clock has a go at him. Uh, the 
patterns on his wallpaper have a go at him. His maths homework comes to life yeah. and has a go at him. Right, now that's very... Ravel's Evil Dead 2. That mm. It's very hard. It's obviously very hard to stage. And yeah, how do you yeah. convey it? And in, I think, the 1970s, Deutsche Grammophon did a recording of it with Andre Previn conducting. And they said, how, what do we do for the cover of this? And some inspired sod at Deutsche Grammophon went Chuck Jones. Brilliant. And they got him yeah. to draw the cover of the album. And it's brilliant. It's such a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. His backgrounds, and he talks about them in What's Up Product because they had more time and they knew they were deliberately going to go for yeah. this very, very dramatic stage. Yes. And so they could get even more absurd than they, they get normally. And so the backgrounds in What's Up Product. Kill the wabbit. 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 Almighty warrior of great fighting stock, might I inquire to ask him, what's up, Doc? There's some of them look like Metropolis or something, don't yeah. they? They're just these gigantic Unbelievable. Things. You know, the, the beginning with the thunder and everything, and then you see Elmer's shadow, and he's da-da-da, and it zooms into Tony Elmer. But well, it's yeah. shadow. Yeah, this, yeah. this is their yeah. version of Fantasia, and it's the Night on Bear Mountain shot of the devil. Yeah. It's that, and yeah. they go down, and the point is that they will undercut that, and they, the point is, as you always knew, as a kid I knew this, Warners are the funny ones. Disney yeah. are classy. yeah. yeah. But the jokes in Disney are nowhere near as good as the jokes in Warners. So they go, we've got this big thing, we've got Fantasia, da 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 it's Elmer Fudd. It's a great joke. Um, Clampett did Fantasia like the year after. They did oh, one, right. I can't remember what it's called, but there's one where Elmer's the conductor and they have the different bits. Oh, they directly They, they directly do a Fantasia in about <laughs> 44 I think. But the scale of those backgrounds, you're saying sort of the, the stylized, the expressionist things. Yeah. You get that in Duck Dodgers where they've got this astonishing metropolis yeah. style yeah. art deco sets that are just yeah. they look really they look really real and it they're not real. <laughs> Got the drop on you with my disintegrating pistol. And brother, when it disintegrates, it disintegrates. <laughs> well, what do you know? It's disintegrated. <laughs> He's all about vertigo and size and scale chuck Jones because his defining joke, his signature joke, is the coyote falling down an endless ravine yeah. to a tiny puff of smoke. Yeah. And that just says, you were a director who likes depth in yeah. this flat medium. You like yeah. 3D. You like to feel gravity. And f He applies physics to it, whereas Tex Avery said, let's forget physics. Chuck mm. Jones goes, let's forget physics. That thing where the coyote runs off a cliff and then yeah. remembers physics. Yeah. yeah, That's a signature Jones joke, to go, yeah. we've forgotten physics, the and let's turn it back on again. 
the coyote's thinking and he's still in a cloud and you see his foot come out the bottom of the cloud and a toe just pokes around yeah. where there's nothing. I mean, it's... What's, what's the one with, with where he's hammering on something that's going to fall down and he holds up a little sign with, what on earth what? am I doing? Yeah, yeah. That is one of my favourite gags of all time. It's just yeah. wonderful. He is, there are two overhanging rocks over the, two overhanging rocks over the road yeah. and a boulder and he's pushed the boulder so that it will land on the roadrunner but it gets stuck. Yeah. So he stands underneath it and with, starts with poking a, with it with a, a stick yeah, with a, Gets more and more vigorously poking it before suddenly realizing and then flipping the card to the camera. But he, as he's realizing, he's still poking. Yeah, (laughs) and his eyes are like, and then the sign comes out. The sign coming out from behind the back is Avery. That's something that started with Avery and Jones perfected. My favorite, if I could have, if I could own a single (laughs) frame of Chuck Jones, it is from Duckamuck. And it is Daffy oh. as dressed as a cowboy with a guitar holding a sign that says, Sound, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I could own one frame of Warner Brothers art, it would be that. Because he looks so pissed off as well. The inevitability we... of the, the, what's going to happen with the sound is when you hit that guitar, yeah. it's going to make the sound of a machine, a machine gun. gun. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about Duck and Muck? Because there's almost nothing like it, is there? It's well, it's something else. It's, I mean, Duck and Muck, it, I'm very willing to be challenged here, but I think it's the first time let's do gags for our colleagues. There's a lot of stuff in yeah. there that the, most muggles wouldn't know what they were making jokes yeah. about. I yeah. thought this, and then last night I was watching something on YouTube and they found it was a Daffy Duck cartoon where he's mixed with live action on the animator's desk. There's a cartoon where Daffy and Porky go in to negotiate with Schlesinger <laughs> and Daffy's winding Porky up ask, ask him for more ask him for more ask well, him for of more of course they, they'd, str- so, they'd, been um, big, they'd been a big it, strike they'd been the Termite Terrace Disney well, it, strike yeah, so, yeah. So and air. so they're kind of and Schlesinger says well off you go well we're going to have to leave if we can't work and, it, and Schlesinger <laughs> goes well okay you guys well good luck with it and, and, and so they have to go off and try and make their own lives and then there's just this great scene where Schlesinger looks right down the pipe and goes they'll be back <laughs> weirdly but it's, it was Weird. his but they yeah they walk into his live action office the two the maybe two that's the cartoon yeah. I'm thinking about yeah. they, they, they've interacted but before but, comes off the board yeah but, yeah. but, uh, but Duck and Muck is taking that to another level it's, it's a pro- when you look at the order they were done in you'll, you'd think this was quite a long way quite a late one it's not it's right in the middle of their yeah. creative period they go yeah. we could just bust the fourth wall wide open yeah yeah Whoever's in charge here? The scenery. Where's the scenery? Stand back, musketeers. They shall sample my blade. Hmm? It starts just a standard, regular Daffy Duck cartoon, and he's he's walking yeah, along. He's and walking along in the, just, and the background. Oh no, it's, he's a musketeer. That's da, it. Da, yeah. da, 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 and he's lunging, and then he lunges into white space. It's a real yes. Palin and Jones the joke. Where's the scenery? It's, it's a real Palin and Jones joke where they would always start with a with a, with a pan across like a, a beautiful scene. It's what Holly Grail is. Beautiful scenery, and go. We're about to do a musketeer's pastiche, and then someone says, "Stop that! It's silly." It's a real Monty Python gag of saying, yeah. "We're trying to start an exciting adventure." and something's going to go wrong. Someone's yeah. going to interrupt it. Someone's going to get bored and wander off. And the background artist gets bored and wandered off in the middle of him starting his adventure. Yeah. It's an incredible idea. So he's in white space dressed as a musketeer. The scenery. Where's the scenery? <laughs> and then he goes off and he comes back and they shall taste my blade. Oh, and he's in a farm. <laughs> All right. He walks off and he comes back on. Daffy Ducky had a farm. And he's dressed as a farmer, keeps walking, walks into a snowscape. <laughs> And on the farm he had an igloo. 
walks, trudges off set, comes back on, skis and a hat. Yeah. And so he's just constantly trying to keep up yeah, with yeah. what the scenery is doing behind him. It's a, there's a vaudevillian thing about it. It's not Eric and Ernie. Yeah. Where basically one of them's trying to keep the thing going and someone's dicking about behind him. Yeah. And obviously the person who's dicking about behind him, the, the I just want to do my song. Why are you getting in the way of yeah, my song, yeah, vaudeville yeah. act? Yeah, yeah. The person who's doing it is unseen and in charge of the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> just what's going on around here? Let's get organized, hmm? How about some scenery? Now how about some color, stupid? Not me, you swap artist! <laughs> well, where's the rest of me? Just get deeper and deeper into that notion of how you can sort of play around. I've not ever seen anyone kind of take the mick out of what animation does. Yeah, what they do is they show you each department and it's a thing yeah. you wouldn't think of because the point about a, a, an animation is that it's seamless. It's a fusion of music and illustration and in-betweens and, and colouring and rostrum and sound yeah. and, and all those different backgrounds. All those different departments are meant to be seamlessly creating the illusion of life in a character. And they, he's just doing that thing again, he's switching one department at a time off. Yeah. And revealing, weirdly, what you don't notice when you watch one of these work. If you want to get really deep into it, who has the ultimate control in yeah. a cartoon? Because there's moments when the pencil comes into frame, it just erases him. Yeah. yeah. Just leaving his beak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's... Like like a capricious like, God. Where it talks about, it almost feels like a slight bitch slap of performers, in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know... It does. It just feels like a. I think any. I think make anyone who wants to become an actor watch Duck and Muck. Yeah, yeah. You know, in any kind of broader medium, it's, you are a part of a whole machine. It is not you. Daffy Duck thinks he's the centre of his universe, and the universe turns against him. Daffy Duck is a way of exploring vanity and its consequences, yeah. whereas Bugs Bunny's magic. He, the, the, yeah. the world, the world arranges itself around Bugs Bunny. But a friend of mine said exactly that about performance. He said the thing: whenever you hear an interview with an actor, and our culture interviews performers all the time. Because it's fascinated by the people who are the front of it because they're beautiful and exciting. Yeah, yeah. And they're the front people. And he said, I never thought about it. They're really powerless, aren't they? And he went, oh, God, almost every interview or even chat I've had with a performer has been about how there was a big thing in which I was a small part. And either I was fighting to have my say or to do my thing. But you're a prop very often. You're furniture. Yeah. You're, the, the, the script and the, the direction and things is running the show. But when it comes to doing the interviews to the Graham Norton circuit, they don't talk to the writer, they don't talk to the director, they talk to the actor, because we like to believe that Daffy Duck is right and that, that Tom Cruise did make Mission Impossible on yeah, his own. Yeah, yeah. Whereas obviously that's not what happened, and it's not of a romantic story that it yeah. was made by by a huge committee of people. Duff, or Daffy Duck's saying, surely this is a Daffy Duck picture, yeah, I'm in yeah, charge. Yeah. And the joke is, no, he's not, he has no control I mean, or it, agency it, at it, all. It, I mean, every single possible thing that could turn on, as we say, the sound, you know, the visual, when... When he's painted as that flower-headed, Thing. baseball-tailed creature. Screw, uh, with, it's got a flag on the back, which is a screw and a ball. Screw and yeah. a ball. Yeah, screw yeah, ball. Yeah, two yeah. Hands together. What I love is that he's walking like, I feel kind of different. And then <laughs> and then the evil the evil bloke goes, oh, right, he doesn't know what he is yet. Draws a mirror. I mean, that's, that's oh. sadism to the next level. Existential sadism. I mean, it is. One of the sort of interesting things about uh, what sort of Jones likes those characters to be those characters. Daffy is, as we say, that conceited guy. Bugs is cool and in charge. But I found it interesting, you know, as a, as a long-term Warners fan, is the way that those characters shifted through the kind of yeah. arc of their lives. That sort of golden period. And I suppose we can kind of... You've got to take a little bit of the time Tex Avery was at Warners. So if, you, if we say 36, from 36 
to 59. That, yeah. that, right. Is, that right there for me is golden age. That's cartoons. And that's everybody. Tom and Jerry were knocking out the good stuff. Yeah. And you have to understand the only reason Tom and Jerry was as good as it was is was because Hannah and Barbera were trying to keep up with Avery, yeah. who was working with them at right. MGM next door. Well, what- and was just... <laughs> yeah, and very often, if you look at Tex Avery and um, Tom and Jerry cartoons, they nick visual gags really? off it. They just straight... <laughs> nick. Tom's reaction to the girl cat. That's straight... The <laughs> yeah. wolf. That's the wolf. Yeah. So they're nicking off... Everyone's feeding off of each other, but the art form as itself is moving forward like a juggernaut while all these people are kind of being across-influencing and, and also chasing each other. So Tom and Jerry try and get faster than Avery, and Avery goes, fuck you lot. Gets faster, does madder, madder shit. How, how can they keep up with this, you know? And they're constantly trying to one-up each other over there. Where, meanwhile, at Warner's, you've got Jones. He's artistically broadening what animation does yes. in terms of background. And, um, and as we say, music he's the best and, drawer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stalling, stalling. Wow. Yeah. Stalling's music in those cultures. And it, it is. It's, it's that whole, the whole being greater than some of its part. Have you seen that bit of the proms a few years ago oh, when the John God. Wilson Orchestra played a reconstructed Tom and Jerry soundtrack, a Carl Stalling it's, one? Sure, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It is phenomenal. Not only do you realise, because once you see an orchestra doing this, you go, Christ, they're working so hard. There's a lot of notes here. But also they're having such a hell of a time. The percussion section at one point has to throw plates into a dustbin and smash them. (laughs) It's just thrilling. It's it's like music concrete or something. There's other noises in it. But they had on contract at Warner's, a Warner's contract orchestra. Mm, So they had this thing to play with. and, And Chuck Jones said... They were free. They were the thing. They were just in the building. So if you wanted an 80-piece orchestra, that was an asset that cost nothing. Yeah. And it was apparently just the guys from the LA Philharmonic yeah. were just hanging yeah. around. They'd do Warner's the gigs. Shifts. So one of their gigs would be to come in and do and do what's opera doc, which is, is it five Wagner operas mashed up in six yeah. minutes? Yeah, yeah. Including, yeah. I was watching someone... It's exactly go, the right length for five Wagner operas <laughs> in about six minutes. <laughs> yeah. He does, he does a lot of flab, isn't there? <laughs> I'm going to kill the wabbit. And you know, someone's going upstairs. Someone's coming downstairs. You know, you 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 see. You're so used to that noise, and but hearing it in isolation is absolutely mind bending. This is quota filler. This is stuff. This is just, as far as Warner's concerned, the real film is a film none of us watch anymore. That's what's coming out. Some shitty Thedabara picture no one will watch. And the padding is this stuff made by the finest musicians and the finest draftsmen and the finest gags men and the finest voice talent and the finest sound effect. Everyone's at the top of their game and they're Mm -hmm. all making a piece of shit that no one cares about. And weirdly that's enormously freeing because it means that no one's watching you. So you can do music that is almost impossible for the best players to play and just hide it in this. I quite like when when they do address music directly. There's a, I think a lot of my favourite ones are um, is so it's long haired hair, which is the one where he winds up the opera singer. Yeah, he is. On the hill, it, it, what I quite like is, is Bugs Bunny. He's on a hill playing a banjo. Didn't know he could play the banjo. 
What did they do on the rainy night in Rio? A rinky pinky pinky, what did they do? And at a nearby house, an opera singer is rehearsing for his big recital the next <laughs> night. And the opera singer keeps hearing bugs playing the back. And the opera singer goes out to Bugs Bunny. What I love is the way this petulant opera singer destroys Bugs' banjo. Which is he, here's, how he, here's the order in which he destroys it. Snaps it in half, neck from body. Then snaps the neck into eight bits, which he puts in the pan of the banjo, right? Which he then holds and then empties them out onto the ground. <laughs> All while Bugs is watching. And then he smashes the, the banjo over Bugs' head. So it's round his neck like a collar. And then he walks off. And that's how that's how he dismantles uh, Bugs' um, uh, banjo. The, and then that's when Bugs goes, music hater. <laughs> What's amazing about that is you, you're talking about that, and that is a rehearsed piece, as in because someone's had to draw that. They've had to work it out. They've had to, and they've done what looks effortless when a live-action performer does it. And you realise that when Rowan Atkinson does one of those bits of shtick or, or Peter Sellers does one of those bits of shtick, that every bit of it has been rehearsed with a movement person. So when you watch a great slapstick performer, Stan Laurel mm. doing it, the joy is it looks effortless, but it has been really, really pre-planned. And that stuff is funny, funny internationally and funny for hundreds of years. Because once you've got what's the funniest way to break a banjo, it, these, it kept reminding me of that great bit, which turned into a gif that everyone shared of Chris Morris jumping out the window of the <laughs> office in the IT crowd, which the more I watch it, I go, that's a... Chuck Jones routine mm. Chris has rehearsed what the funniest foot to get onto to get out of a window is yeah. in the same way as if you were drawing Bugs Bunny and you were chewing a pencil for about three hours you'd go it's the left foot and then you hide the guy when you try and break it down like you've just done that banjo you go yeah. every one of these has been thought about yeah. now that stuff is funny proper funny bones and you can learn from it for live action but it's yeah. how animation's made it's why Wallace and Gromit is funny is it's been made slowly what I love is there's a beautiful bit and there's these little like you say about Mike Maltese's use of language Bugs is sat on top of the Hollywood Dome and, <laughs> and he, f- he flicks he flicks it the Hollywood Bowl he flicks it and it goes and it starts to make the singer vibrate a little and then and then Bugs looks down the camera and he goes acoustically perfect and then he hits the Hollywood Bowl with a mallet which makes the and then my favourite bit is that idea of him turning up as the conductor and he just emerges through this doorway and the musicians see him, and he's got the wig on. He's Leopold Stokowski. And so the musicians go, Leopold, Leopold, Leopold. And he's walking through. Bugs is Leopold. And everyone is Leopold. The conductor sees Bugs, a rabbit dressed as Leopold Stokowski, and goes, Leopold. And he hands him his baton. And the first thing Bugs does, snap it in half and throw it away. <laughs> and I mean, and when he's conducting the singer, it's just that idea. Here's an idea. What if a conductor of a singer literally controls his voice with hand movements. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what makes that cartoon. So Bugs is feeling out what he can do. So he's got his hand in front of him. He just raises it. He starts playing the bloke's yeah, voice. Yeah. There's a brilliant bit where he goes... And then he drops his hand really low and wiggles the finger. I go... And so we, so there you go. It's been set up. This is what I can do. So then he looks at the bloke, cracks his knuckles... And then just goes... So he's got the bloke singing a note like that. He walks off, leaving his hand hovering in the air, (laughs) a glove, keeping the bloke singing like that. He goes and he mail order orders some earmuffs, which he waits for, which arrive, and then he returns to the hovering glove in the air, which is still the bloke who's now writhing around on the stage, his face going hundreds of different colours, holding that one note. So now he's got earmuffs to carry on listening to the bloke. Oh, 
just that. When you watch them, you go, actually, there are about, let's say, 30 elements you can play yeah. with in these things. But you can combine them in endless ways. You know what what an anvil does, and you know what alum does when it makes yeah, the yeah. mouths go all... Th- there, there's props that you can play with. It's almost like you've got a, a cupboard. You go, what's in the cupboard? All right, we'll combine dynamite and uh, mail order this time around. And they're playing with this stuff, but what they're playing with is structure. Because you yeah. sort of know what's going to happen. The joy of it as an audience is to know the inevitability of who's going to win, the characters are established, everything's really clear. But you're watching how will they combine the, the elements in this cartoon. And the fact that when you watch, say, a Roadrunner, which is the, the barest form of this, there will be five inventions. If someone's knocking on someone's door to irritate them, that'll happen five times. Yeah. So structurally, they are variations on a theme. Again, it's music. Here are the ten instruments we're playing with. It's a, it's a dog and a cat, and some dynamite and an anvil. And it's it's such a limited palette. Roadrunner. It's not chaos. It's completely controlled. Roadrunner is all about limitations, isn't yeah. it? It's deliberately as pared down as it can possibly be just to see how much he can get out of these very, very few elements. Yeah. And when he's paired against Bugs Bunny, yeah, no, yeah. it's a different... Operation Rabbit. It's, yeah. it's, he's a uh, wily coyote genius that you can't believe how, uh, how I wanted to get a business card <laughs> that had that on it that I would just write my normal address and number on and give to people this wily coyote genius, genius. but that's your setup and you go well that character's great and he's a great foil for bugs it's a brilliant thing but then to go well it'd be good if he didn't talk and he just went after this bird he's wily coyote he's also Sam the wolf with Ralph the sheepdog yes. morning Ralph morning Sam that idea that a sheepdog and a wolf clock in, clock in. for a day with the herd but you're, you're, but you're playing in with different elements you've the cupboard and you found Wiley Coyote in there. Let's, yeah. play, let's combine him with, with Bugs for one. Let's play with Ralph. But you're right. The Roadrunner is to say, let's pair everything down to this is minimalism. This is this is a long horizon with two things on it. Yeah. It's that. It's like, like cacti a, or something. Like, for instance, I'd love to, someone would have done this, but I'd love to see a concordance of how many and what they were of the painting a tunnel on a rock side gags that <laughs> yeah. is done. Because I think there are five or six well, of them at uh, least. This, I almost wish I'm not telling you this, but on Wikipedia, they've got all of the Wiley Coyote Roadrunner cartoons listed, right? in a table format and <laughs> and box number four of the table is everything that he buys from the Acme Corporation. Oh, <laughs> you can buy an the Acme, Acme catalogue. <laughs> Someone put it together. <laughs> as, as he goes on, certain tropes emerge in what Jones does. And my favourite, it's the classic just bugs out witting people. The mad. scientist in the leather, mad yeah. scientist. You know, that incredibly weird monster who, who has a cute name the big red furry monster oh yeah that's called something like Buttercup that wears plimsolls and is just like an orange rug is it before or after the Doubtful Guest by Edward Gorey where the little hairy thing turns up wearing sneakers oh right which is a beautiful yeah. image but which is probably ha- yeah probably a ref isn't it yeah but one, one or the other it might, it might be a nod one way or the other to the idea that it's funny if, if a big hairy thing turns up naked except for baseball shoes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love the Daffy Duck being an idiot and, and Porky Pig being the long-suffering sidekick. So that's Duck Dodgers. Drip along Daffy, deduce you say. The Sherlock Holmes one. The Sherlock Holmes, the Sherlock Holmes oh. one. The way that Daffy moves, in the when he's detecting, his bum is higher than any other part <laughs> yeah. of his body, which is yeah. the detecting pose. Watkins, in a moment there will be a knock at the door. Answer it, please. My panther caught on a nail. <laughs> when uh, the barman asks them what they want to drink in the pub, Daffy has hot buttered gin. And, and Porky orders Nanny and Nut Brown October Ale over the rocks. 
Drip Along Daffy, though, the cowboy one, there's a bit in that where there's the shootout and they're just walking down the street, the different angles. It's high noon. Yeah, They've just yeah. taken yeah. those scenes from high noon. So they're down an alley, up, low, just seeing the legs. It's just... It's proper direction, isn't it? Real. One of the Beautiful. things... Beautiful. Other people's animation is great, I think. They're, they're really, really good. The animation is great. What's great in Chuck Jones is the direction. Why he's famous as a director is he directed like a film. Yeah, yeah. And he does a lot of parodies and things. But when he does a parody of a film, he doesn't just put the characters he would normally put them in flat backgrounds. He he works out the camera angles and stuff. I think that's why people rate him so much, is that there are better gags in some other people's stuff. and There's better antic extremes and things in other people's stuff. But I think as far as the shots go, Chuck Jones is pretty much up there as one of the best animation directors ever. Come along now, my man. We have an engagement with Scotland Yard. Whoops! Mustn't keep the bobbies waiting, you know. Let's go! I think it only fair to warn you that I have studied Jiu-Jitsu. The absolute bravery of what they do at times as well. It's very difficult to come down and go, this is my favourite one ever, but with repeated viewings... Uh, the Rabbit of Seville is the best. If you want to watch mm. a Chuck Jones yeah. and see what he did and how he changed the animation cartoon, it's not What's Up Product, it's not One Foggy Evening, and these are what we're talking about, it's not a Roadrunner, it's not, you know, it's, it is Rabbit of Seville, which is the classic, that's a Bugs versus Elmer, starts out, you've got the hills in the distance, you see a shotgun going off, and Bugs is in a state of flight and fright, and he hides in a theatre where they're doing the Barber of Seville, the opera. Yeah. And he goes in and he hides, and Elmer chases him into the theatre. And at the beginning, it starts off with them becoming embroiled in the plot of the Barber of Seville. And yeah. so you've got all the classic things in there. Which there's a real thing that Chuck Jones had about making Bugs a pretty lady. <laughs> so, and they end up in the Barber of Seville. But then, of course, Bugs turns up as the barber in yes. the Barber of Seville. And they, they let Mike Maltese put lyrics to some of the stuff from the Barber of Seville. It's a normal cartoon for three minutes, right? It's a seven-minute cartoon. And at three minutes, the dialogue stops. And the remaining four minutes is just visual gag set to music. And it is... Fucking genius. And I'm just going to talk you through what happens in the four minutes, beginning to end. It'll really quick. So the the instrumental section starts. He's giving him... He's massaging his head, right? Okay. He puts cream on the head and a salad in the cream. Shows uh, Elmer that. Uh, Elmer hates the fact uh, um, and gets a gun to chase him. And when he finds Bugs, Bugs is dressed as a fakir with a basket... <laughs> And he's playing, uh, he's snake charming, and the razor comes out as a snake and chases Elmer. Elmer shoots the clippers, and then they start a chase with each other on barber chairs, which they're ratcheting to get higher and higher. So they're chasing each other on barber chairs, and they get up to the roof. Bugs stops Elmer by cutting a sandbag, which lands on Elmer, and so the chair spins to go down, and so the conceit of the spinning is that when it gets to the bottom, Elmer is dizzy, whereas Bugs just ratchets himself down, so he's not dizzy. The chair is back in the barbers. Um, Bugs <laughs> sees him out of the barbers into the revolving doors. He's already dizzy. He then puts him in revolving doors that go... And then he's back in the barbers, even more dizzy than he was just now. OK, with the revolving door. He puts Elmer back in the barber's chair, polishes his head like it's a boot. OK? <laughs> then he gives him a pedicure where he cuts his boot off, all right, at the toes, exposing his toes, puts paint on them and a sign with wet paint, OK? He then puts hair restore and Elmer's face and then has a tiny lawnmower that he shaves his beard off with and then he puts face clay 
on Elmer's face, which he shapes with a trowel into a brick, which dries and hardens, and he chisels off with a hammer and chisel. And then he has this brilliant bit where there's bits of... Of, of like brick still on Elmer's face and there's this, this is actually in the Barber of Seville there's a little instrumental bit where it goes and he has the brush and goes brush 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 <laughs> so they've had this madness and down to a subtle little gag like that then he puts the hair tonic on which is also the Figaro fertiliser okay <laughs> he gives him he massages his scalp and plays a piano line on his scalp which is a fairly cheap gag and then he massages Elmer's head with his ears, with his rabbit ears. <laughs> then he holds the mirror up to Elmer again, and hair grows, and Elmer looks happy, but the hair turns into flowers because it was fertiliser. Then Elmer <laughs> is furious. So then the ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba bit is used for swap-over gags. Elmer is chasing Bugs with an axe. Bugs is then chasing Elmer with a bigger axe. So it goes <laughs> revolver, rifle, cannon, big cannon, fucking massive cannon. Then Bugs gives Elmer a bunch of flowers and some chocolates. <laughs> proposes to him a vicar arrives marries them they are husband and wife Bugs takes Elmer to the top of the scenery and drops him boom into a cake with the marriage of Figaro at which point Bugs is a barber again and goes next Four minutes of just visual jokes, uh, all set to the music of the Barber of Seville. And, you know, that that is a man at the fucking height of his powers. The imagination at work there. The marrying of the music and the visual, what's going on, and the backgrounds, all of it. But to have confidence, where you've had a, a speaking, you know, and, yeah. and verbal jokes... Yeah. We know what that is. You say something funny, people laugh. And then to, right, the verbal bit will stop now and it's just going to be visual. But Chuck Jones knows that we're not what we say, we're not what we look like, we are how we move. And he knows that once he's got the motion going, it's going to be funny. So you're allowed to do that. But what you've got here is people talk about like the highest forms of art. And the highest form of art used to be opera because it was the combination of all the disciplines. It was music and yeah. acting and staging and, and, and painting and, and, yeah. and everything. Everyone's doing stuff at the top of their mm. game. Weirdly, what you're talking about there at that four minutes of Barbara Seville is everyone working at the top of their game. The musicians are the finest people, the, the writers are the finest people. Yeah. So you're saying this this thing which is trash art, a cartoon, an animated cartoon, filler. filler, has come to the point of being comparable. What's Opera Doc is not an arrogant thing to do. The joke in What's Opera Doc is how dare Elmer and Bugs be involved yeah. in high art? And the answer is... Yes, they fucking dare. Because the point is, this is the same. There's no difference in the process and the craft and the skill of the artists involved in this than there is in a high opera. Yeah, yeah. And what's great about this is that loads of people see this. So yeah. it makes it even better. And what they're talking about here is Chuck Jones's first job. We were talking about this before. before oh, starting. here we go. Here's the sad bit. Chuck Jones's first job was as a, as worked in the cell paint and trace and cells and things, was mm. an in-betweener and things like that. One of his jobs was washing cells because yeah. cells were expensive. There was seven cents a cell and a thousand in a, in a cartoon. So... They, they would finish the, the Mickey Mouse cartoon or whatever and they'd wash all the paintings off and use them again mm. to the extent that if you buy a, a cell from early animation, they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars because yeah. they were disposable. Yeah. And we were all saying that we've all collected pieces of art that we found in skips. Yeah, if you yeah. like commercial art and popular art. I, I got um, a dude uh, sold me three front pages of The Eagle from the 1950s, original Frank Hampson, and quite rarely they were signed. And they're from, uh, yeah, sort of mid-period, classic mid, late mid-Dandere. But they are by Frank Hampson. I got three of them for 500 quid off of a bloke, out of a boot. And I was a bit, have you nicked these? And he went, no, 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 my dad, <laughs> my dad used to work for Halton Press. And when Robert Maxwell bought out Halton Press, he went down to the archives in the basement 
where all the mapping drawers were, where they used to keep all the old art from, you know, things like Look and Learn and The Eagle. What's this? And it's, oh, it's the art archive. I want this fucking shit here. I want it out by the end of the week, all of it. And um, this guy who I bought the art off, his dad found it in Skips outside Halton Press. Skips, Robert Maxwell. Like, we didn't think he was enough of a cunt. <laughs> Some of the greatest comic art of the golden age of British comics and put it in a fucking skip. He didn't drown enough in man. <laughs> because that stuff is disposable. It's perceived as disposable by the people who make it because they make it in volume. So you make your cartoons in volume. You make your comics in volume. They're not regarded as great art. They're not uh, valued. But to the people who receive it whether when they're a kid, they're the most valuable thing because this stuff is... Because it, it's trash, it's available to you as a kid. It's not high art. Mm. You watch these cartoons again and again if you videoed them or whatever. So you know them off by heart. So, and, and comics and things, they're enormously valuable to people who grow up to value them. And the irony being that when you grow up and say, well, I'd like a piece of that, I wonder if they kept any. The answer is, no, they threw it all away. And weirdly, there's, there's a strange thing, someone has said this about Peanuts, that the form of art isn't the original artwork on the wall. It isn't the original cell from Bugs Bunny. The art form was designed to eventually end up in your front room in your hands as a child or in front of you as a child. Mm. Mm. The end of the art process isn't a, a framed frame of mm. Charles Schultz on your yeah, wall yeah. signed by him. The end of the art process is a crappy newspaper with a peanut strip in it or a, yeah. a, a, or a VHS that you take off the telly with The Night Before Christmas with Tom and Jerry on it or <laughs> yeah. The Rabbit of Seville. That's where the art is. The art lives in the final distributed cheap commercial yeah. form. I've, I've got a bit of art by Chuck Jones. It's all I've... I've my uh, missus very kindly bought me a series cell from the Warner shop at Lakeside. Do you remember the Warner oh. Brothers shop at Lakeside? What? There was a Warner Brothers shop at Lakeside that used to sell original production cells and series cells and swag and oh. all <laughs> little statuettes and bits. Yeah. I mean, it was a brief, bright kind of two years of madness. Some of the greatest swag I've ever seen in my life. In Lakeside, you know, in the Warner Lakeside. Brothers store. Why did I not know this? Yeah, yeah. So what did you get a sell of? It's just Bugs and uh, Daffy and Elmer sharing a glass of champagne. It's not even from a thing. He started, because Warners were getting funny with him about brand... So he started just drawing characters and doing them as... Uh, limited series cells right. and having <laughs> them painted and everything and then he'd sign them and sell them and so I got assigned one of them but then I did a, a gig uh, for uh, some lads that were doing some animation and John their producer was a mate of Chuck Jones's and he didn't have any budget to pay me and so he gave me a Roadrunner <laughs> a drawing of Roadrunner by Chuck Jones so I've got that on, on animation paper with the holes at the bottom oh, so wow. I've got, I've got um, oh. a drawing of uh, Roadrunner unsigned sadly but I know it's him so I don't care and yeah. it's and it's him and it was in a it's him talking about uh, the noise that the French think that the Roadrunner makes is it's not meat meat it's something else. Oh. The French think it's something else. So the, the French say something like pow pow or something. It's weird. It's just, the French are different. It's like like uh, Snowy in, in the original Belgian Tintin. Yeah. says whoa whoa whoa. You know, I, I'd like to come back for a kind of supplementary episode at some point in the future and just do a sound effects from Asterix comics. <laughs> <laughs> to well, Jack T C H A C C C C five exclamation marks. <laughs> Paf. Paf is my favourite. That is a, that is the sound of hitting an Egyptian barge owner over his own barge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that we consider that a booking. Um, thank you so much for Lads, bringing Chuck what, Jones. What a joy. What a thank treasure. You, Thanks very thank much. You. Baby, my heart's on fire If you refuse me, 
honey, you lose me, then you'll be left alone. Oh, baby, telephone and tell me I'm your own. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.